everyone, and welcome back to the Beloved Interview Series here on Beloved Revealed. We've talked to Brother Tim, Sophie McDevitt, and Sister Desiree, and for our final interview, we will be speaking with Shane Jenkins, who went to the University of Notre Dame and graduated with degrees in theology and liberal studies, and I actually met Shane through the current program that I am doing right now through Notre Dame called the House of Bridget, and Shane served here in Dublin at Newman University Church for two years and just recently went back to America. And while he was involved in the parish here, he was super involved in homeless ministry. So today I'm just looking forward to hearing his stories of how he came to his faith and what he thinks about the concept of beloved, especially being a man of the church and a little bit about his homeless ministry as well and how he's seen um, the belovedness in those individuals as well. Uh, so I will hand it over to you, Shane, just to kind of do more of an introduction of anything that I missed. And yeah, just take it away. <laughs> Thank, thanks, Katie. Yeah, it's, uh, it's good to be here. Um, and yes, I, I as well was a member of House of Bridget just before Katie arrived in Dublin. Um, I was house director in my second year and I live with your current director, Maddie. And so, um, yeah, it, it's, uh, it's nice to be on the, on the show and feel like I'm, I'm back in my old house technically, but only virtually. Um, but yeah, so my name's Shane and I'm currently living back home in Denver. I, I guess in a sense, I was, I was born Catholic, but I, I'm a revert to my faith in a way and that um, my family is very culturally Catholic, um, kind of did so because their parents guided them into it, but didn't really have any knowledge about what the faith was beyond like Christmas and Easter Catholic Catholicism. And it was in a way kind of like a happy fault that my parents were like, yeah, you should go to Catholic school because it's a good school <laughs> that like I was able to encounter people that were able to witness to that faith differently. And, and, and I feel like I was interested in it because I met people who I wanted to be like. I met people who kind of like inspired me by their goodness and beauty. I still didn't really come fully into my faith until I'd say the, the end of high school. Um, and then way more so in college, as you mentioned, I was studying in the program of liberal studies and also doing some theology studies as well. So yeah, that, that's more or less about me. Um, I'm now working for a crowdsourcing company, so I'm out of the, the volunteer world, but I still enjoyed my time with House of Bridget very much. Thank you for sharing that. We actually, I, I didn't realize this, but we kind of have similar backgrounds in a sense that my, my parents didn't um, grew up Catholic and they sent us to a Catholic school mostly like for the education and just many good things happen at Catholic schools um, and then I didn't really get into my faith until the end of high school college as well so that's something we have in common that I didn't know about so that's really mm -hmm. cool thank you for sharing <laughs> absolutely yeah okay, just to to kick it off with the first question is mm -hmm. uh, how would you define beloved or, or what does that concept or identity mean to you if you want to talk about that yeah yeah I I'm I've, I've followed some of your, your past podcasts. I was curious to hear what other people were saying as well. Um, because I don't, think I, I don't think I'd really thought about it in my own terms before this. But the more and more that I've thought of it, I feel like um, for me recently, understanding beloved or oneself as beloved um, can kind of like take many forms of different kinds of people. But for me specifically, it's taken the form of realizing that I oftentimes focus on a lot of the inadequacies in my life. And I don't mean that as in a, oh, I'm constantly just wanting more or, or, the, or even the reverse that like, I just feel like I'm not enough. It's more just like, I feel like there's all these things that I should be improving constantly and, and infinitely. And, and you can, you can always be kind of like working and improving these things. But then I've slowly started to realize that there are some parts of life um, that are essential to being human. Um, things like 
desiring closeness or intimacy when it's not available, you know, wanting a friend to talk to when they're not there. There are some parts that just like kind of exist as a, a baseline unsatisfaction about being human in a way that aren't bad. And they often are filled by those around us, um, which is a way that we love each other. But that I realized to recognize oneself as beloved is to recognize that all of those things in a sense are already filled or, or there is already an opportunity for them to be filled. When you're feeling alone, there is the God, God has always been there. And it's not that he's there just to be a salve when you are feeling alone, but that in a sense, you, like you wouldn't have been alone if you had kind of been more conscious of that. Um, and I don't mean that as in like, oh yeah, it's your fault. I, I think this is very natural. Um, but for me, more recently being beloved is starting to be way more conscious of the fact that all of the places wherein I feel like being human is just uh, tough and painful and unfulfilling. In fact, all of those ways are invitations for us to grow closer with God and to recognize that um, he's fulfilling those things. So that's for me what, what recognizing oneself as beloved is, is that um, God is there to fill all those things, if that makes sense. No, yeah, it does. I actually have been thinking about this a little bit more just because in isolation, it's really easy to feel lonely. And I feel like the thing that has kept me going or just like made me feel more full is just journaling or praying at night. I actually look forward to doing that, which is something that I never really got to experience before. Uh, coronavirus in general mm -hmm. um, but I think it's it's really important to recognize that like yes intimacy with human beings is totally necessary and you know Jesus had all of that as well um, but mm -hmm. it's also like in these moments of isolation there's still something that fills our desires and our loneliness um, and I think that that whole concept is just <laughs> really important to think about especially in this day and age <laughs> absolutely and, and well put because it's it, I feel like it just is really difficult to, to, to embody that too. Because um, as much as I can think about it, there's a difference between like recognizing that as a fact or, or a truth in your life. And then also where you're at, which is like looking forward to it in a way like living as though it's true. And yeah, I think that that's taken work for me for sure. But it's been, it's been incredibly satisfying to slowly kind of realize that in those stressful moments when I when I'm looking to other things to try and fill that void even though I I know that I like have a relationship with God and love God I'm trying to now think of that first you know in a sense and like and not treat it as this kind of like last resort but more like oh yeah like it will be okay because like I, I've, I've, I've got the most important thing of all you know the thing that makes my whole life uh, meaningful in a way so yeah um yeah I think that it's taken me a while too to realize that just I know for both of us we started to get more into our faith like the end of high school mm -hmm. um so what was that like just formation wise like why in high school did you you know choose to to be more involved in the faith or, or what did that kind of formation look like for you yeah um so I'll, I'll tell you what it did look like for me though I'm not it may be universal to some but perhaps not to others um but I think for a long time I did know that there was this kind of like underlying dissatisfaction or imperfection with, with life. And I, and I kind of, I don't know, I was unsettled by that, but I didn't really have an answer. Um, I was just kind of like always, I don't know, I guess a very un unsettled child. And it was not through arguments or anything that I started to think about my faith, um, but rather through like people witnessing to joy and living kind of like 
as though that wasn't a problem for them. Not, not that it wasn't at present, but like it wasn't problematic. And that I, I, met, I met families during that time in, in high school and theology, or theology teachers at my schools who just seemed to show that there was like another way of living. And I think the word for that now that I didn't know then is they lived hopefully, like they had like the, the Christian virtue of hope, right? And that they, they kind of lived with, with the like faith and promise of something that they were living purposely for. Like I said, it was initially just seeing how people could be um, more fulfilled, more loving, more kind of like active and actively living that made me want to know how and why. And then slowly through that, did I start to realize, oh, they're telling me that it has to do with these things and that like their faith has inspired them to love and that being a Catholic is all about like valuing people um, for who they are, you know, and all of these things, <laughs> which to me, I guess I, I didn't really consider as possible or didn't take them for granted before suddenly opened up um, and that just interested my mind which loved all sorts of like philosophical stuff as well that I slowly started to learn like what is the church's intellectual tradition and stuff too and so that kind of pushed me into um, late high school and college where I was like I want to not just experience it I want to learn about it and like master it if I can so that I can explain it to other people you know yeah I think that's really important the same for me actually in, in <laughs> high school I just felt kind of more like still whenever I was involved in like the church through music or whatever it was and youth mm. group things like that I felt more still but also active at the same time and like doing good things or doing things that I loved or helping others I did all of these things in high school and then by the time I was in college I was like yeah I really like all of this involvement and I feel really at peace and happy when I'm involved in the church but I still had questions and I think that's like a normal thing for every human being is to have questions about the church and I do think that taking the further step of learning about it like whether it's through you know being a theology major being a religious studies major or you know just asking the big questions I think really helped me um and in my formation as a Catholic in general and I think it's like I just want to plug that in there that it's really important to learn about what like your church is that you you were baptized in yeah I mean so much of my admiration and love for the church as in like a community of people has been learning about just like oh there are all these great and incredible and amazing people that like pushed the the boundaries of our knowledge of like the world and capital t truth and who god is and what that means to be human and i don't know like i don't know if you ever feel this way but when i whenever i read someone like a, a catholic author especially whose description of life resonates with mine more than like anything else has I just have like an immense affection for them. And I, I just like really, really wish I could have just like shaken their hand and thanked them for what they did, if you know what I mean. Like, yeah. Um, yeah. I also feel that way, even with people who aren't like Christian authors, sometimes mm -hmm. I read books and I'm like, wow, like the Catholic church is universal in a sense that like there are many morals and values that lie outside of the Catholic church that like other people agree with. And I think that is yeah. really special too. <laughs> No, I, I shouldn't have excluded those two because oh, no. in truth, my, my first favorite author is J.D. Salinger. And so um, I felt like he grasped at something in his works, which like you said, was like a universal truth to human experience that Catholics would agree upon as well to a degree, um, but just resonated with me so perfectly. So I, I get you. Yeah. yeah. And even the term beloved, I know, is dropped a lot in, in scripture and in Christian mm -hmm. settings in general. Um, and I do want to explore more like how this term or this kind of more so definition, not so much mm -hmm. the word beloved applies sure. to those um, 
who don't identify with a religion or are who in other religions, um, just because that's the religious study ma studies major coming out of me. Mm -hmm. um, but just kind of leaning into the term beloved. I know in the Catholic Church, there's a lot of, you know, groups for women that's that uses the throws around the term beloved a lot. And I don't necessarily see it used a lot by men of the church unless they're, yeah. you know, referring to Jesus, who is a male and who was, you know, their original beloved, as I like to say. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so what is that it, the experience of just kind of questioning this term uh beloved for yourself as a man of the church? And yeah, what is that like, like male yeah. versus female? Yeah. I'm really glad you asked this, Katie. I've been thinking about it a lot over the past week, even outside of the context of this call, but I'll preface by saying that I think before I had been able to really delve into this, I had noticed exactly that trend that you were talking about, that this has seemed to be like a term particularly related to women in the church, um, or that whenever I would go to, or like kind of like try out um, Catholic talks or groups that dealt with like masculinity and femininity, I never was satisfied with like, how it was spoken about and I know that it's incredibly difficult because it's so complicated and nuanced and it's really hard to draw these like sweeping categorizations but even though they are can, they can be helpful sometimes but I do think that maybe the issue was that a lot of these groups were kind of focusing trying to draw distinctions between masculine and feminine that didn't make sense whereas there are some that you can speak of generally speaking which I think do um, make sense like like for example and I won't delve too deeply into this um, it might be wrong to say it is a feminine trait to be caring and a masculine trait to be protective. It's like, well, it's good to be for everyone to be both of those things. You know, right. it's not exclusive to a, a gender or a sex, but it is a feminine trait to, in a sense, like experience bodily motherhood or, or the opposite for men. You know, it's like, like, and so, and so there are some things that you can draw distinctions with, but what I'm getting at with the beloved thing is that when I thought about it, and please, I'd love to hear more about this if anybody has any thoughts or if you can chime in. But what I'd always seen or heard about from my female Catholic friends was that they were getting lots of messages about how beloved was related to senses of inadequacy um, or senses of self-consciousness or senses of value, you know, and that it's incredibly important in a way for people to hear that God, God's value is really all that matters in a way. <laughs> like it, it, it supersedes everything else. Um, and, that, and that all those, those worries and fears and apprehensions um, are unfounded. But when I was thinking about it and from a male perspective, although that can also be true for lots of people, and I think has been true for me in some ways, I think a different way in which I struggled to understand myself as beloved um, as, as a man is that there's also a narrative in some ways that um, like the male biology in a way is counterintuitive to virtue. And what I mean by that is I just, there's all this kind of like messaging and caution and warning, which is well intended about how like men, you really have to like watch what you do. Um, and it's for a good reason. It's because there, there are problems in our world that we're in like um, men behave irresponsibly, do not treat other people as vows and more as it's, um, sorry, please ignore the, the phone in the background. <laughs> men are hearing of certain messaging about um, to be beware of their own tendencies, which is intended to have a good effect and that it's supposed to like teach men about morality and how to live, but it can be dangerous in that it might have the double-edged sort of making men think that they're just sort of like built differently and built in a wrong way, you know, or, or built to, to be doomed to um, immorality. At least for me, 
part of this journey um, of understanding myself as beloved is to see that um, anyone has a, a capacity for both good and evil, but that just being a man is not like a, like a weakness or it doesn't mean that you have the cards stacked against you. It doesn't mean that you're any less caring or any less capable of being good, if that makes sense. At least for me, with the, con with the contemporary narrative that I was describing, that was more of a challenge of seeing uh, or a, a challenge to see. But for me, in my relationship with God, or growing in my relationship with God, it's kind of taught me to, uh, I guess, like not be ashamed of of, uh, my, of of being a man, of being masculine in any way, you know, like, and I don't even necessarily mean that I was ashamed of like, all the tropes of manhood, because those never really like spoke to me, like it did to maybe to some other people. I just mean in the sense that like, yeah, like both men and women are capable of good and evil, um, and that it is, not, it is neither better nor worse to be one or the other, you know what I mean? And so I think that was what I was getting at. But. Yeah, I kind of have this thought in my mind right now where like humans, yes, are both good and evil and we also experience good and evil. So in my mind, I know you mentioned it a little bit, like for beloved for women, I feel like it comes from a place of inadequacy or just like not feeling worthy. And beloved is this reminder that like you are loved despite, you know, you not feeling worthy enough to be loved mm -hmm. and I'm also just thinking about you know how beloved can also be a confidence statement or like a power statement so I, I'm kind of like grappling with this new concept of beloved can one affirm your worth and two be like this confident statement of being like I am like you know I have all of this like power to be the best version of myself to be to be loved and to be loving I guess I never mm -hmm. took it as like like a confidence thing I took it more of like when you're weak you are beloved but also when you're strong you are also um, beloved and that goes for both men and women I think yeah it's what you're getting at that there's one sense in which if one is not feeling that they are like you said beloved hearing that they are is is, is kind of like the god directional version but there can also be an inversion where you, you say confidently in response you're right like like I am, and that because of that, I, I know in the ways in which I can behave as a beloved. Like I, I can behave with the confidence of, of in a way like, um, I don't wanna say deserving, it's kind of the wrong word, but like um, in the same way that Jesus like behaved with full confidence of what he was doing, it was because like you said, there was a confidence of it being right and true and good and beautiful and valued. And like, if, if one knows that one's identity is beloved there's a sense in which you can express the, that identity in, in like holy ways with that confidence but yeah. yeah that second one I think was more relevant for me and perhaps is for for other men as well although I do think this is a bit of a, a tangent um, but I used to browse reddit a lot more which is primarily um, a community of, of men but there's also maybe like 20 30 percent women on there point is one of the sub communities was called ask us anything or ask me anything um, or just ask Reddit. Sorry, I think I got it confused. But someone had asked, like, with this tag, be serious in your responses. What is, like, one thing that all men want to hear? And the top responses were surprising to me as well, even as a man. But the number one was, you did a good job. Number two was, thank you for your, for your effort. And number three was, like, you're valued or something like that. And so it might sound surprising that, like, these sound similar to some of the things that you described about typically being portrayed as more feminine, um, uh, more feminine desires. But I think men too still desire in some ways to know that like they belong or that they're seen or heard or valued and not just taken for granted because they're men who can do something. I don't know if that can tie into this beloved um, 
idea with God as well, but perhaps there is a sense in which good deeds and contributions aren't missed by God, you know, and that though it is great to hear it from other people, um, in a sense, it, it's always in a, I don't want to say better, but it's always, it's always guaranteed that like God is seeing those things, you know. Yeah, I do appreciate that. I think like all humans, just a part of humanity is like desiring to feel like you're a part of something or to feel like you're valued. So I don't think it goes, it's not based off of being male or female. Um, I think that's, oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. it's just like a, a human quality. Um, and I think a lot of people like Beloved Revealed is primarily female followers. Um, but mm-hmm. I think like for the male followers or for like the community members of Beloved Revealed that are men, um, I think like they deserve to hear these things too and like feel a part of, you know, the mission of, you know, feeling valued and being a part of something good. I'm glad that (laughs) you are here to attest to that as well. (laughs) I kind of wanted to talk to you a little bit about uh, your homeless ministry, something for Beloved Revealed. I like to highlight as being loving to everyone that you encounter and in a way that that has to do with embracing the uncomfortableness of things sometimes. And I think for me, at least in homeless ministry that I've done in the past, it is a stepping stone to get over of like feeling uncomfortable or almost like not worthy of being there, like feeling guilty a little bit of doing this ministry. So I kind of wanted to ask you a little bit just to share your stories and experiences with homeless ministry here in Ireland and how you see that like continuing if you want to talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I I would love to talk about that. And I'll I'll say first that um, before I got into it, I always saw those who were in that ministry as just like a different kind of person. Like they just, they just had a level of comfort that I didn't have. And therefore I could maybe like interact with it indirectly, but I never saw myself as being a part of it. And so I want to say that as a, a statement of confidence for anybody who is wondering if they can um, ever be involved with this and actually get it. Um, I'd say like you can, and there are people who will guide you there and it's, and it's a slow process to becoming more comfortable with it. Yeah, to give you some explanation, though, of what that was like for me, I volunteered for our parish's soup run, which is like a biweekly outreach to people sleeping rough on the streets, um, where we bring them like food and tea and coffee, um, only small amounts. And so it's not it's not really meant to be like, I don't know, it's kind of like a bandaid more than it is like a a place for them to be reliant upon, you know, it's, it's an opportunity for us to talk to them. I was totally nervous. Like I, I volunteered for it because I wanted to learn about it, but I had no clue. And on my first time out there, I when we, we go in groups, I just stay at the back and I let everyone else do the talking, do the interaction and just observe. Because my whole life, I kind of grown up with this, not, not unfounded, but in some ways, perhaps not encompassing view that you need to be careful of strangers and that especially strangers who looked strange, there was a, a fear attached to that, you know, um, particularly, particularly with homeless people. But at least in Ireland, there's a, a slightly easier opportunity to engage with them. And that I learned for approaching these people that there are little ways you can tell what kind of people are looking for interaction and what people aren't. And that usually people who are out trying to make eye contact, they're sitting on a busy street, they're actively engaging you. It's, it's much in a way like it's more of a safe bet to say, oh, it's okay to talk to this person or, or to kneel down next to them and ask how they're doing because um, you can kind of like get the sense that they want engagement. Whereas if there's somebody sleeping with their face to the wall, you don't want to go and shake them and be like, hey, you're homeless, let me talk to you. That aside, one of the like fact, or I'd say one of the lessons that I learned very early on, which again contrasted with what I grew up learning or thinking was that um, 
in order to reach these people, to talk to them, and in a way have any chance of participating in their life or affecting where they are, you're going to have to be willing to sacrifice some, some charity and generosity to be taken advantage of. And I think that was what was really not um, harmonious with like American thinking in that for, I feel like a lot of American charity, not all, but a lot of American charity has the uh, uh, like almost a business transaction aspect where it's like, I will give you this charity and support if you do these things. Like if you are going to like fix your life and do all this, like I'm not going to waste charity on somebody who's not going to use it. And, and that has a purpose. Like the point is so that like, like we're not enabling people. But what I've learned with this is that when you go out on the streets, like we do with our soup runs and you're giving food and coffee out indiscriminately, you're going to have people who take advantage of it. There are people who were most likely kind of like high on drugs who would come by, ask for a coffee really quickly and then just immediately leave. So you had no chance to interact with them. But by being open to that and giving it indiscriminately, you're reaching a wider pool where maybe 80% of the people are people that are actually, you're actually engaging with. And so like by being willing to sacrifice that 20% of your charity and generosity, the 80% is now possible, if that makes sense. Whereas if you don't allow it any uh, abuse, like you might not reach anybody. And so that was kind of a, like something I didn't ever thought about was that in order to kind of um, get past your comfort barriers and, and, and your, your pettiness over a 20 cent cup of coffee, cause it's like instant coffee in our case. Um, it's, it's, it's in a way it's, it's okay to know that the people you're serving won't be perfect and that it's still worth trying to reach out to them and sacrificing a bit of your time and effort and engagement for the chance of possibly kind of meeting deeper with them and uh, offering them more. I like the um, just idea of kind of meeting people where they're at. And like, sometimes you give a lot of love, but you don't necessarily like receive anything in return. Like I know growing up for me, like homeless ministry or just like service in general was always to get something signed on my sheet, like for service hours. It was never mm -hmm. like, I didn't, I didn't do it willingly. Um, so I've come to a point in my life where it's like, I have to do it willingly. <laughs> like I, I'm not <laughs> doing it for any other reason at this point. Like, and I think, I think that goes to say that like doing some of these things, you know, willingly will, will help you like love others better. I'm glad you brought that up too. Cause I spoke of it very like technically, but in the other sense, just like you said, meeting people and spending time with them will also ch change and shape your view of them. Because although a lot of homeless people, at least in Dublin, are, you know, like, like physically insanitary or like have um, sort of like health, health issues, might have bad teeth and stuff, which is all off-putting. Um, slowly, as you spend time with them, start to see through that for a bigger picture of them. It doesn't go away, but you start to understand them as a larger person. So there is for example, one woman I knew, I won't, I won't say her name, who had the teeth, um, was quite unclean, always wearing the same clothes. And I often see her, <laughs> one of the weirdest times, I saw her pushing a, like a big 24 pack of um, Coors Lights in a baby stroller. And so I was, I, I looked into the baby stroller, I was surprised to see a bunch of beers, <laughs> um, which is quite funny. But, but like, you slowly, I slowly realized that this person who on the surface just had like, you know, very little to attract the interest was one of the more generous and kind spirited homeless people I've ever met. And that she and another woman were always 
asking after other rough sleepers in a way whenever they would sit outside of Tesco and they got something they would be willing to give it to the next person they they spoke with such fondness towards in, in one case one of them had a dog she spoke with such fondness towards that dog that it would have felt like you were just talking to a neighbor by pushing those boundaries and giving yourself a chance to meet these people not everyone will be like a surprising socialite but, but you do start to see the humanity of people and learn that they have deeper stories that someone sleeping rough isn't out there per se just because they don't have self-control or responsibility you met you meet people who are like i used to live in a house in host but um my boyfriend was abusive and scared me out of it and i and now my family's on his side and i have nowhere to go and so like you know all these reasons that like aren't exactly what you're expecting and so i think as well it's, it's a lesson in humility to realize that you can you you, you start to assume some things about people when they're on the street but you actually don't fully know the causes for that, if that makes sense. Like you don't know why they're there. Everyone has their story, so to speak. Yeah, I even think this is a good lesson for even just out, outside of homeless ministry, like not like my friend Sophie was saying, assume goodwill um, yes. for everyone. Mm -hmm. and, and like, despite, you know, what they look like or their brokenness or whatever's happening in their life, like to approach them as human beings. And I think that's a big, like, at the root of all things everyone is beloved and you should treat everyone as like beloved humans and like get to know them and love them um for who they are and and i think mm -hmm. that has to do with a lot of like homeless ministry as well like approaching people that look different or that you know appear different have have different lifestyles than you and kind of just like loving them reminding them of their worth even if it's like a small encounter like you know, talking yeah. to someone about their life or handing them a cup of coffee and watching them leave, like in some type of way, you are still loving them. And I think that that's important. <laughs> Absolutely. And I'll say one last thing, which is that with, with, um, with all of this, obviously there's a, a mindfulness to not see oneself as like a savior or anything. And I don't think most people who are doing this ministry do, because um, I think it's that, that, that image shatters very quickly when you start to realize how, how tough it is to have an impact on people. I will say that that is also kind of the essence in my mind of what the power of a lot of Christian virtue is and that the specific Christian virtues as people know them, what, like, like, like Christian justice, which is a justice of mercy, it doesn't make sense in a way. And because it doesn't make sense, like it's not rational in the sense of like one for one and that it's it's willing to sacrifice it's willing to lose for the sake of something else that it's surprising and so through being generous like you said with these people through speaking with people who might feel like they don't deserve being talked to or they're that like we would we met some people on a back street once and we're talking to them and they were like we, why would you talk to us you know like in a thick north dublin accent just like why would you stop for us the time of day you know you know you wouldn't give us the, most people wouldn't give us the time of day is what i'm trying to say and so like I, although it's never it's never like a perfect science um that that virtue of surprising mercy and surprising concern um is precisely what shakes people out of patterns out of mental loops out of habits in a way as like c.s lewis's book is titled being surprised by joy um is something that can change things and so yeah it's never i guess like I, I can't predict how these things go it's never perfect but i will say that um being daring enough to surprise people with mercy can be, have a huge impact i i agree with you should probably never go into like service oriented things with like i am the savior i'm trying to save all of these people but mm -hmm. rather like let's just meet these people and like have mercy and like share mercy and compassion with them yeah that's what I, as i said that's one of the frustrating but 
humbling things about at least for me with homeless ministry was I realized like how little I could do um because yeah. there were there were some things like you, you could give people food for a day or, or a, some people would even give money for for a meal or for socks or something but you can't like fix their life you know at all and the best that I learned to do was I, I tried to like research what resources I could I could learn and and could I at least memorize what the resources were enough that if I met somebody who needed x y or z I could tell them go here mm-hmm. you know and that that was like the biggest impact I can have as just a passerby you know yeah um, but, I think yeah. starting with like the little things of you know meeting people on the sidewalks or going up to someone and sitting by them while they're sitting on the street like asking for for change um, you, you start there, but like, I, even since I started doing that here a little bit in Dublin, I'm like, I want to do more, but like something bigger, like, and that, ha- mm-hmm. and that sometimes happens outside of like interacting one-on-one with homeless individuals in general. Um, it's more so like, how can, how can I better help this, this group, this population by doing things in, in my country and, um, in my city in particular, like at shelters, um, it's like, it's, you start small, but then I find this like growing desire to like do things that are bigger, to love them bigger. All right. Um, well, we can kind of close off this conversation. I don't know if you have any other stories that you came prepared to share or any other topics you wanted to talk about, but feel, feel, feel free to throw them out there. If you did, if not, then we can, we can kind of end it. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Katie. Um, yeah, I guess I not, you actually were really good in that. You asked all the questions that led into my main stories. I am really curious to see as you keep going along with this, this series, um, how you eventually come to define it yourself. Because I know that you've mentioned what it has meant to you initially, but I want to see how it kind of takes shape and expand as you add all these new perspectives onto this um, amorphous blob, you know? So yeah. um, thank you for including me. And I'm very curious to see how your thought advances as well. Yeah, I definitely just kind of before this whole series began, I did throw out my, you know, broad definition of what I thought beloved meant. But even after the four interviews that I've, I've done, I'm like, there's so much more to define this. that I feel like it can't even like have just one definition. Like it's, it could be a book of, like experiences and thoughts about what beloved can mean for so many different people. And I think that for beloved revealed in general, I, I do want to continue to like open up discussion about what beloved is and, and how, how people, you know, act on it in their own life and embrace it in their own selves. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, yeah. I'm also excited to see how things unfold. <laughs> and I, I wanted to ask too, on your artwork where you have the stylized beloved mm-hmm. um, I imagine it's intentional, is it, that it's also looks like be loved with the capital L? Yeah, I did that on purpose. Yeah, just because I think to me, beloved first, like I I think I explained this to you before, but I kind of see it as like a triangle where at the top Mm -hmm. is beloved, like you are named and chosen as beloved. And um, by like to embrace that, you have to embrace being loved yourself and like what does it mean to love yourself to love all of the unique characteristics of you um, and things like that and then after you like embrace that it's kind of like an ongoing triangle of life then like you you take your belovedness and like what you have learned about loving yourself and like share that with other people by by loving others so I capitalize the L in beloved um, just just as a reminder like be loved because I think a lot of people say beloved as beloved too um, <laughs> And it, it just kind of is a play on words, like you are beloved and you deserve to be loved type of thing. Oh, absolutely. I, th- I thought it was nice. I was just curious. Yeah. So yeah. thanks for that explanation. Yeah, thanks for asking. Yeah. <laughs>
Cool. Well, if you, I've been closing these out in prayer, so I don't know if you would like to lead prayer, if you would like me to lead prayer, but I always think that's a good, good way to end things. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a great idea. Um, All right. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Dear Lord, thank you for the gift of Shane and for his wisdom and his words that you brought into this interview and for all of the wisdom that everyone in the Beloved Revealed community shares in general. Um, we pray that you continue to guide us in loving ourselves, loving you, and loving others. Uh, and we pray through the intercession of Mary, our mother. Um, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Amen. And Father, and Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank, Thank you, you, Shane. Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you.